Welcome to Good Life. I'm Dean Wilson. So glad you're with us. If you're joining us locally here in Santa Barbara, California at TV Santa Barbara, we welcome you. If you're joining us at goodlifetelevision.org uh, from wherever you are, or if you're joining us on our podcast, Good Life Conversations is the podcast. You can find it at all the different good, uh, podcast platforms. And you can also follow us on social media. We we have all the long-form interviews at goodlifetelevision.org, and we also break them up into what we call power clips of some of those great moments um, from, from those guests. So we hope you'll check it out. Uh, wonderful people. Uh, we're dwelling on the good stuff, and that's, that's why we are here. So we're glad you're with us. Um, and I want to welcome my guest today. Jen Rodriguez is with me. Welcome. Thank you. So Jen is the uh, nursery manager at Growing Works, which is part of the Turning Point Foundation, which can be found at turningpointfoundation.org. Um, and we're going to get into kind of the work that Jen's doing and that Turning Point and Growing Works is doing in a minute. But I wanted to start with your life. <laughs> Take us back to kind of uh, where were you born and then I want to get into kind of your upbringing. Okay, so I was born in the in Van Nuys, California, in the San Fernando Valley, which is a suburb northwest of Los Angeles, and I grew up at the end of that valley, the northwest end in Canoga Park, or what was later called West Hills. Kind of a normal, middle-class family, mom, dad, brother, me, dog, you know, pets and <laughs> such. Yard, the whole deal. Right. Yeah. And, and talk about your early life, okay. which was not typical. No. So at somewhere between six and nine months, my mom noticed that I'd gone from being a very affable and um, happy baby to being really fussy. And then one day when she was turning me over, she noticed that there was a lump on my back. So she went to our pediatrician who first thought I had tuberculosis. And so he started a course of treatment for that. And I didn't respond. So she went back. And I, I don't know who if he discovered it or discerned it or Children's Hospital in Los Angeles did, but he sent me to Children's, which was um, a life-saving move on his part. And they immediately um, opened up lymph nodes and saw that they were meaty with cancer. I read the surgical report and meaty with cancer are the exact words. And I had stage four neuroblastoma, which is a fairly common cancer in young children, um, in infants and children. Some babies are actually born with it. Um, and that started treatment that lasted the better part of two years with a follow-up surgery at three years. So three surgeries within the first three years or so of my life, a partial course of radiation and numerous courses of chemotherapy. And at three years, they called my cancer in remission, which was the terminology they used in that day. Now they would call it no, NED or no evidence of disease and started a fairly normal childhood from that point, though with follow-ups from time to time to make sure that I was still in the clear. Wow. Yeah. And so then what, what happened later in terms of your health? So I had various episodes. I had two more surgeries in high school for benign tumors and one more in college for a partial thyroidectomy because one lobe of my thyroid was growing. And in consideration of my very rocky, complicated, medically complicated start to life, we practiced um, kind of extreme conservative medical management for me uh, you know it, when you have a child go through something like that it's a very fearsome thing and so that's something that was kind of the context in which I grew up I mean my parents who are still alive their advocacy and action and care saved my life 
but that it was also a hard thing for my family. I mean, it's yeah. a hard thing for any family. My husband and I moved to Maryland in 2004, and then we discovered a meningioma, which is the meninges are a three-layer sock that your brain and spinal column wear. So I had a tumor kind of behind my left eye. And then later we discovered that I had kidney cancer, bilateral kidney cancer. So that was two more kidney surgeries and another meningioma and then kind of another assorted bag of other, 12 is the, the count at this point of surgeries for all these various abnormalities or tumors or two cancers. Wow. Yeah. So how have you dealt with this? Or, I mean, what's this been like? I've never heard, I don't think I've, reading, I've read, you know, a lot here. Yeah, you got, you got the full I blow. got the full scoop. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've ever read about it, one person enduring this. What's so, this been like? There's a lot of ways to answer that. Um, first of all, the doctors now think that the chemotherapy that I received that saved my life as an infant is what caused the the adult kidney cancer. I have some other evidence of complications. Like I have a lot of colon polyps. Well, um, my doctor tells me that those are from the chemo or the radiation that I received to my abdomen. Cause you know, I was this big when I got right. those original treatments and chemotherapy as I think, you know, is poison. So they kind of take you as far as they can go towards death without killing you in order to kill the cancer. I mean, nothing about cancer is not wonky. It's all wonky and complicated and hard. Um, I have been very fortunate in that my life has been preserved through a lot of very real and serious challenges. And I, there's a lot of reasons for that. My parents' advocacy early on. My mom paying attention and understanding that there was a problem in getting medical help. The fact that my dad was well-employed and we had good insurance so they could pay for medical treatment, which not everybody can. Right. It costs over 40,000 years to have cancer, and that's outside of the medical treatment. That's, you know, hotel stays or traveling to the hospital or buying food because, you know, you're at the hospital or your caregiver is taking you in. It's, it's all very consuming and expensive. So I've been really fortunate to always have medical care when I've needed it. I've been seen at some of the best medical facilities in the United States, whether that was the National Institutes of Health or Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. Um, and I think I have a, I was uniquely endowed from the very beginning because both of my grandfathers were pastors mm -hmm. and we had a community advocating for me. So people I've never met have prayed for me and have intervened on my behalf. And whether that's the original diagnosis or the one in 2009, um, I think that that's part of it. Like it's important to get great medical care, but there's so much more than that. And even the access, like the reason why I got into the NIH in the first place was this really kind gentleman in a brain tumor support group had been there before me and he emailed me, call this number, talk to this person. Same thing, I got to choose between Hopkins and the NIH when I had the first meningioma because that gentleman gave me those small keys that unlocked big doors mm. and got me into the, some of the best places in the world to be treated if you're really, really sick and have a complicated case. So wow. I owe a lot to a lot of different people. Yeah. Um, my team at the NIH was an international team. I had an Israeli surfer dude doc. My urologic oncologist is a Russian Jew. 
um, a nurse named Princess who was from Africa. So I've been taken care of by a princess. Um, German, uh, just uh, like my greatest um, nurse practitioner is from the Midwest. And we had this awesome conversation about pickles and Crocs. Apparently that's like an Iowa thing. Um, so like, I just, I've been so fortunate to have this amazing team that's been drawn all over to take care of me. And I mean, they, I mean, they didn't know it was me, but I'm really, really fortunate. Yeah. And most of them were like just lovely people who chose their, in their careers to take care of other people and to help them get well. Yeah. Wow. And so what, so faith in terms of this process, what has been your experience with your faith as you've gone through all this? First of all, I think God's always been really faithful. Like in 2009, when I was diagnosed with kidney cancer, there was this one season where I kept on getting scanned and they thought that my cancer had metastasized, but really I just had weird tumors and irregularities all over. And I remember being in the car asking God, like, why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to go through this again? And God's always been really gracious. And he said, lucky for them. And I said, excuse me? Because I didn't think that lucky was a word that God knew because like Christians <laughs> don't use lucky. You're like fortunate, not right, lucky. Right. Um, and so he said, I'm drawing you a team. And that's that international team that I alluded to before. And the benefit would be that they would get to see my faith and they would get to see how I conduct myself in the midst of just really hard stuff. I mean, after one surgery, they'd put me so full of saline that my arms and legs were like sausages, like I was swollen. And my pain for that, that was the first partial nephrectomy, so my scar is this big. Um, my pain was like at 11. And having grown up with so much medical treatment, I have a really great pain threshold. I'm kind of like, bring it, I can take it. <laughs> um, but that one was really hard. Um, so I think, you know, the Bible talks a lot about suffering too, how yeah. Jesus suffered, he kind of, he gets it. Um, and we suffer not because God is a sadist or he doesn't care, because I don't think either of those things are true, but we suffer so that we can come alongside other people in their suffering and, you know, be God to them and meet them where they are. And so I think it like specially qualifies us. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's a, kind of a readout on where I am now in terms of my career. Like I get to come alongside people who are, whose lives are really marked by suffering. And I'm qualified not because I'm, I'm a, or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but because I have suffering credential. And so I know what it's like to, to hurt through nothing that you've done yourself. You right. know? Just like nobody in kindergarten says, I want to be a cancer patient when I grow up. Right. Nobody also says, I want to be a, a, you know, have schizophrenia and hear voices telling me to kill people. Like, and that's real. Some of my people hear those voices and they're always negative and harmful and harsh and not helpful. So I think I'm pretty, I don't lead with my story. I don't welcome people to growing works and say, do you want to hear about my cancer diagnosis? Cause that would be super weird, but my people know and, and they get it like, and they get, they get that. I want to keep them safe and I want to help them and, um, make a safe place for them. And then we're going to work together as a team in whatever we do, whether it's getting plants ready for a delivery or just talking about coping skills and you know, how they're doing and how we can kind of get them to the next point in their recovery. Yeah.
So, so the, 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 the suffering has done kind of a work in a sense. I think so. In your heart, in your perspective. Yeah. And lately I've been thinking about the words like tough. I don't want to be tough because that's like a nasty old leather shoe. I mean, you know, like our American culture is really into tough and like right. big movies with guns. Um, I don't want to be tough, but I think I do want to be perseverant. And so yeah. I've survived a lot of stuff and kept on going, which is more like the Energizer bunny rabbit. You know, like you just keep on going. You, t- right. you keep a li- right. Is it take, take a lip licking and keep on ticking? Right. You know, that, like I think that's a better model and that's more God than just being tough. Yeah, right. Just keep coming back. Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't mean I don't cry or it doesn't mean like sometimes you get knocked down and you really need a nap and a cookie. Um, <laughs> sometimes a <laughs> or nap 12. and a cookie yeah. is really helpful. Yeah, right. Yes, and way, way too much iced tea, if I'm honest. But um, that's, right. that's being human. Like we right. are fragile and we are weak. But it's the, the getting back up again, I think, that is defining right. like not letting yourself be beat by circumstances. It's so good. Yeah, there's a scripture about, you know, suffering, yielding, perseverance, yes. character, hope. Yes. And hope doesn't disappoint. Yeah. You know, and I think that's that perspective. You can't, how do you get that without the suffering part? You don't. Right. You can't, like, buy it at Walmart. <laughs> right. And as Americans, we really kind of always want to buy it at Walmart. Right. Unless it's at Target or, right. you know, the Lamborghini dealership. It, like, pick your sociological <laughs> level or whatever. Right. Now, it, it's right. something that you you can only get by walking through it. Yes, through it. That's another thing. You know, we, I think as peep humans, I mean, we, we don't like hard. We want to go around or, you know, is there any way? I mean, even Jesus wanted mm-hmm. kind of a way out. Like, is yeah. there any other way we can do right. this? But the only way out was through, yeah. you know, and I think that's a powerful th- thing that, man, you can speak to probably better than anybody in terms of just the next foot. I mean, yeah, I could talk about that the whole interview, but we have to get to other stuff. Um, so let's talk about your work because, okay. and I'm fascinated by this. So the Turning Point Foundation, the program that you work with, is called Growing Works. Correct. What what is what is Growing Works all about? So Growing Works really has two big parts. We're a nursery. We're a wholesale nursery, so we sell to other, like to retail nurseries and landscapers and things like that. We primarily grow California native plants and succulents and stuff that we think is cool too, but mostly stuff that's really appropriate for Southern California and our low water, like low rainfall, drought resistant, stuff like that. That's just a good environmental choice. Then we are a recovery program and we contract with Ventura County Behavioral Health. So we're doing recovery services for people with moderate to severe mental health diagnoses. Many of them are schizophrenic. Many of our people have schizophrenia bipolar disorder, PTSD, severe depression, um, just to name a few. And so they work with plants. They exercise coping skills. And coping skills are anything that will take your mind off your diagnosis or your symptoms. So if I listen to music so that tone stands the voices in my head, that's a coping skill. If I go on a run so I'm like doing physical activity and producing the happy endorphins or whatever they are that make my body feel better, that's a great coping skill too. Physical activity and it's a distraction, so I'm not like listening as much or hearing as much or 
you know, planning out how to commit suicide or anything else that would be harmful. So we were in a very, like, pretty soothing, natural environment at the nursery. Most of our work is outdoors. Um, there's something about plants that's just inherently positive and hopeful. And I am very purposeful in enforcing that we're a team. Like yesterday, we had a celebration because we beat our sales goal for April by like 27%, which is awesome. So we all had pizza. And I don't care whether you're on the orders team or whether you're transplanting or whether you prefer to just water every day. We're all a team. So we all win together. And for people who've experienced a lot of failure, whether that's in their families, like relationship or job failure or one of my guys was called the crazy person at school, which, you know, not super helpful. Not super helpful when you're already challenged. Um, Like, that's really good to be in community and win as a team. And as I well know, sickness is really isolating. If you spend two months in the hospital, you kind of dropped out of your own life. Well, it's even more so if you have mental health because you can't really trust your brain and what your brain is saying, you know, about anything or most things. And so just to be in community and to have to show up is a huge coping skill. And we celebrate all of that. Wow. So you would you work on that? You work there every day. Yeah. Yeah. The program is Monday through Friday, nine to one. So people work a half day, which is really appropriate for kind of where they are in their recovery and the challenges that they face because of their diagnoses. And then the rest of us work till 435. So let's talk about mental health for a minute, because I think that's that's um, obviously there is a stigma there. There is. Mm-hmm. A, and I think we're as a culture, as a society, we're, it seems like we're working towards making it OK to not be OK. Yeah. Talking about it, yeah. especially during the pandemic. I think that that's one of the silver linings of COVID. I mean, as hard as COVID has been and, you know, horrible loss of life, horrible isolation, a lot of not constructive political controversy. Um, but yeah, we're acknowledging that we need each other, that we need relationship and that yeah. isolation isn't super helpful and it's also hard. Yeah. That's fantastic right there. Like that's a huge victory. Yesterday I was in a Starbucks and it's mental health awareness month in May and they had this pen about destigmatizing mental health oh. challenges. Thank you, Starbucks. Like, yeah. I also like your tea. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that that we as a country don't do mental health well. You know, you can get some of the best medical care in the world in this country, but it's really, really hard to navigate mental health services, and there's a lot of room for improvement. And Growing Works and Turning Point Foundation are not the whole solution, but it's wonderful to be part of the solution. Right. And to see that we are making a difference in people's lives. Um, we've had eight people move on to higher education in the three years that the programs existed. We've had 27 people go to competitive employment. And for each one of those people, that's a huge victory. Yeah. Like I literally had one worker who would sit home and drink coffee all day on the couch. I think chain smoke too. You know, that's kind of a sad use of life as resource. Yeah. And so it's so great when somebody gets hired for a job or they're ready to move on. Too many people right now are pursuing higher education. It's just, it's great. So I'm good. so proud of them. And I get, like, you can see how people's self-esteem gets built by, like, we, we work really hard at playing to strengths. So 
One of my employees who's on the streets for 25 years is my lead for pulling orders. He's amazing. He's just awesome. And he takes a lot of pride in that. And we give him a lot of respect and responsibility because he can run with it because he's just really good. Um, and so it works beautifully. And he kind of has a wingman. And um, my assistant manager trained both of them on how to print tags. We have this hateful tag machine. Sorry, it's just... <laughs> Nobody likes it. But the one gentleman just kind of took to it, and that's his thing. Like, if I give the first guy an order, he wants the list so he can print the tag. Says he takes such pride in it. It's wonderful. Wow. And that's somebody who spent a lot of time in institutionalization and on the streets as well and has very, very severe struggles. But, like, he's in the zone, you know, at work. It's a huge victory. That's so great. Yeah, and it's such an honor to be part of that. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. you know, I didn't go to school for that. Um, but, but what a wonderful solution. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and the, you know, the mental health thing is one thing, and, and the homelessness is another thing. Yes. Which is, you know, people. Yeah, and those they're are, all tied together. Tied and then together. substance yeah. abuse is often part of that, too. Yeah. I really learned... I've changed my mind a lot about substance abuse through, through working here because I think the goal is so often self-medication. Right. Like, the, the symptoms that a lot of my people have experienced are so severe, and so many through no fault of their own. I mean, some of my people are victims of incest and others of sexual abuse when they're children. Just the worst stuff that happens in our society. So why wouldn't you want to drink to make, you know, to turn that down? Right. If you had no other way of dealing with it. Like, right. right. It's totally not my job to judge. And given the little I know about some of the stories, yeah, they've been through horrible, horrible things. Right. Yeah, that's a good perspective. You know, people don't wake up in the morning and go, I think I want to drink myself into oblivion today. Right. That sounds fun. Right. I'm going to ruin my liver. Right. And destroy my and health. And all of my yeah. relationships. In my career. Right, I'm going to restrain to my family. Yes. <laughs> yes. This sounds no. like a good idea. No. No. They're, they're, they're coping, yeah. numbing, thinking, turning, like you say, turning it down. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's a compassionate way to view it. Right. And it doesn't, I'm not negating the really negative effects of substance abuse. Right. Because that's real. Right. And there are real victims. Um, but it's far more complicated than just saying that somebody's a drunk. Right. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, that's really, this is a great solution. It is. In terms of, I mean, in terms of actually not just, you know, what's, why can't anybody solve homelessness? I mean, this is like, here's where we can right. put if somebody to do easy, the tag machine right. and thrive and, you know, right. feel and good. Right, and that's after, so it's not, not like people just show up and get a job. They have to do a certain number of volunteer hours and take, a wellness recovery action plan class and then another job preparedness class so it's actually really well ordered um, and I see I'm almost three years into this now as people volunteer they kind of find their place and we get to know them and then they take the classes and it's very progressive and yeah as we get to know them like we have them try out different things. Like, do you like to water? Are you a good waterer? Cause there are good and not good water. Let me tell you. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> like, woo with the hose. Um, <laughs> uh, this week we did some propagation from mother stock. So we have plants in a big pot. We dig them all up, we chop them up and then we can make baby plants. It's awesome. It's why plants are super cool. Um, 
because you can just make a bunch more <laughs> if you have the right technique. So I had one of our newbies on it and a newer employee just to see if they would take to it because not everybody does. Like some people like to, like they, they like to work with like the hardcore plants, like the cacti or the prickly ones. So we give those to the hardcore people. And then we have this one guy who we call the plant whisperer. So he was on that yeah. propagation this week because he just has innate ability. And he's also just a really soft spoken, kind person. So we kind of see how they're going to fit and what they can do. And it, that's them getting known too. So that's another way of working against that isolation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're, if you're isolated, you're kind of invisible and you've dropped out of life. So people are working out of that. Um, and hopefully then we'll find a place in the world that will continue to use their skills and, you know, they can bring home a paycheck and that's good for self-esteem and kind of the whole thing. Wow. And there is something magic and beautiful and incredible about plants and life. And I still can't get over how a seed, an, <laughs> acor tiny little thing. an yeah. acorn, a mustard seed becomes 12 feet. Like I still can't, but it only in the right environment. Like that seed can sit on this table for 20 years and nothing happens. Mm -hmm. And then you put it in the right environment. Yeah. That, that's, I think we need to spend more time reflecting on that. That, that. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Turning Point Foundation, everybody. That's the that's the uh, the umbrella organization of Growing Works. Turningpointfoundation.org is where you can find them. Growing Works is the program. Jen Rodriguez is the guest. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be with you. Thanks. We'll see you next time.